Good morning. Okay, we're back at it again. Hard Talk Radio. I got a question. Does T.I. Does T.I. Speaking up in defense of a trap museum, saying it's a part of black culture, show the moral climate of our our society all right does it show how far the black community that is part of the black subculture because remember not all blacks like rap music not all blacks are part of the rap culture you got plenty of conservative blacks who are not into this stuff or just blacks that they see rap hip-hop as brainwashing and it's toxic for any community Okay, as is once said, if you want to destroy a people, go after their music. Does it show the fact that the moral decline in our society and the moral decline of those within the low income black community that accepts this type of stuff? Let's get into this. Our talk radio live in 4K. Fair use, fair use. In this 30-minute special, we sit down with Atlanta's very own T.I., who opens up about all things from music to the movement that inspires him. Joining me right now at the iconic Trap Music Museum, we have the founder, the innovator, someone who envisioned this. How does it feel to sit here today and just to see the curation that came from your imagination? For one, it feels like a collective effort. This is this is the the culmination of thoughts, ideas, uh, visions, and and contributions of of so many of uh, of a community of artists, you know, and, and not to mention the contributions that came from the most significant contributors to to the culture of trap music. How does this space really preserve the history of trap music? versus how it may be told in the mainstream? Like what dots does it connect that kind of adds texture to that narrative? I think for one, what we do is we want to educate as much as entertain. Okay. We want to make sure that people know where trap music came from and why it is, um, why it, it is so relatable hmm. worldwide. If there were, if there was no crack epidemic, if there was no war on drugs, so many people that could relate to trap music. The underserved areas of, of our communities were plagued with, with, with drugs and guns. So, <clears throat> the war on drugs, okay, basically, you know, we all know that the CIA had a hand in that. And, uh, what he's saying the fact of the matter is this is dysfunction okay and clinging to this stuff well this stuff influenced people fellow blacks to harm and kill other blacks 
That's what it did. And now you're making a museum to honor that. You know, most black people, they had, uh, you know, back in the day, they had museums to honor certain things. But, you know, honor certain things that were conservative, that had culture, that had something to look up to. I mean, Martin Luther King Museum, you know, that had something to look up to. Sacrifice and stuff. But this, what does this show? What? This is just a tribute, to, uh, uh, a tribute to gangster lifestyle. And what does this show for black men and young black kids and black boys and girls? What does that show? Does this show that this is something positive that they should be aspired to be drug dealers and respect drug dealers and women who want to be looked upon as three o fours and sex um, sex objects? But why were they in prison? Why were they in prison? Were they doing drugs? Were they selling drugs? See, that's the thing. They, they, it, when it comes to this type of lifestyle, they always try to make, you know, blacks, you know, a, a, as a victim, okay, that are doing wrong. You're trying to make people who are doing wrong, breaking the law, as victims. And they're not victims, okay? I'll say it again. Yes, the war on drugs was a farce. I mean, even uh, the government admitted that. People who worked under, uh, I believe, Nixon, they admitted that. That it was it was a farce. However, okay, pe- black people taking drugs and um, selling it. It's still wrong. You're poisoning your own people and you're helping out white supremacy. Looking for what? For leadership? Looking for for guidance? So hip-hop steps in and saves the day yet again. And you can express that through music. Right. And because so many people have the same story, that music becomes prominent. The reason my album, Trap Music, was so successful was because so many people heard their stories in my song. So many people heard... How was so... Save the day? How did it save the day? Okay. It was a toxic babysitter for black youth. Sell drugs, sell weed... Prostitute yourself. Don't worry about the law. Even though you're doing wrong, it's the white man's fault. Go against your black brothers and sisters who see the evil that you're doing. Call them coons. Call them sellouts. And just keep doing you. Regardless if you get locked up. And maybe that is the... And this, this, see, this is the thing. This lifestyle is biting him in the butt because now his son wants to do the same thing. You see how the chickens come home to roost? Off of relatability. Absolutely. So many people heard parts of themselves, parts of their childhood, parts of their present circumstances in my songs. That's the reason Young Jeezy's albums were so successful. 
Second, I won't play too much. Don't want to play too much because that's going to get me in trouble. Considering all those, you know, systemic and societal issues that we oftentimes face in marginalized communities, how are you able to create from that pain and not let it shackle you down where it could have done that to someone else? And I, I give a lot of credit to the ancestors because, you know, historically our people have been resilient and I think trap music is no different. Um, I think everybody who, who grew up in, in desperate times, uh, they, they, they were motivated by that. It spread and, and blossomed and grew and bloomed into, you know, something similar to what you see around you here. And your art and your craft really does have a lot of synergy with that Atlanta story. You know, when I look around the Trap Music Museum, I see so much black art. Right. And right now we're in the midst of the movement to protect black art. Right. When you hear that, what comes to your mind? Well, first of all, I think what we have to do is we have to question why are these the only lyrics being brought into question? Black art. When you have black art, you have people who play jazz. You have people who, Langston Hughes, um, different people who actually, you know, did classical music. Blacks who did opera. This is not art. This is killing um, the black youth. And having a museum to this degeneracy is harming the black youth. That's what I see it. All right, I'm gonna move on. Let's go this one right here. Unfortunately, we have a lot of these, uh, a lot of simps, a lot of people who don't know how to deal with breakups, and it leads to tragedies like this. of the man accused of killing a woman and injuring her sister before turning the gun on himself. The Harris County Sheriff's Office says Walker Pareto was dating one of the victims. KPRC 2's Bryce Newberry is live in downtown at the Harris County Sheriff's Office. Bryce? Well, Daniela, the Sheriff's Office says the man who did this was the boyfriend of that sister who died. And tonight, her older brother is telling us that she was hardworking and had good character. Tonight, 18-year-old Ridha Saeed is being remembered as a kind-hearted, down-to-earth girl who cared a lot about her family. The pharmacy tech who just started college, killed by gunfire Monday night, 
on Mackenvarian Constitution Lane near Friendswood. I see a young lady get out of a vehicle. She walks up to the car, opens the door, and she's having a conversation with whoever's in the driver's side of driver's seat of that car. Uh, again, it appeared to, to, to me is that they were they knew each other and they were having a kind of a small argument. Saeed's sister, who the family says goes by Noor, was also shot in the neck. Her older brother telling KPRC2 she's expected to be okay, but her recovery will take weeks. The 20-year-old is working to get her real estate license. Tonight, the Harris County Sheriff's Office says 19-year-old Walker Pareto, who they say was the boyfriend of the sister who died, fired the shots. As authorities moved in on him just before 7 Tuesday morning in a Willis grocery store parking lot more than 70 miles from the shooting, they say Pareto shot himself inside his car and later died at the hospital. And despite the sheriff's office saying that these two were dating, the family tells us they have no idea who this suspect was. Court records show that he was arrested and charged earlier this summer for felony drug possession and unlawful carrying of a firearm. But at the time of this double shooting, he was out on bond. We're live downtown tonight. I'm... See, this is the thing, though. Okay, she probably saw the fact that he was no good. Um, that's the issue. She saw that he was no good, um, close to the, you know, graduating, and she was already trying to f go progress in her life. She hanged out with this guy who was toxic, all right? This is why we got to be careful about who we pick, <clears throat> and also, brothers, fathers, <clears throat> there's no shame in getting in getting in your daughter's or sister's relationship if you see the dude is scum all right and lay down the law there's no shame in that because you could be saving your daughter or your sister's life okay They had to have known that he was scum. They had to have known. Drug possession, You had. they had to have known. They had to have known this guy was no good. Okay? And the fact of the matter is... This happens more than I can count. I have done numerous live streams where this has happened. Everybody knows the, the person that their loved one is dating is no good. He is trash. He rash, trash, and they let it rock. Usually because sometimes the family is in that same type of culture, same type of environment. Okay? And you'll have some women saying that you don't need the man in the home to raise children. Yes, you do. Sons and daughters need their fathers. <clears throat> Especially when it comes to dating the opposite sex They need that Okay It is paramount It is important But unfortunately uh, We have Especially in minority communities um, You have them in other ethnic groups But I'm focusing on the minority communities That is not Taken seriously And It's reviled until situations like this happen And now you want to know what went wrong What went wrong is the fact that you didn't heed the warnings Alright So 
we are going to talk about somebody that has just passed recently. That is the Queen. Yep, yep. And we have to look at the reason why so many people don't like her. All right. That is that that is what we have. We have to get a balanced view. Okay. Okay, now well, I'm going to just leave a little key note here. I'm just going to drop a little hint. Let's just remember that Prince Harry at one time Okay, at one time he was uh dressing in a Nazi uniform for a party. Let that sink in. All right. That just goes to show you uh what goes what type of mindset that family has. Okay. The dark side of the queen <clears throat> of Queen Elizabeth's legacy matters. Here's why. Seeing the queen the late queen only as a benevolent force contributes to the whitewashing of the history of the British Empire. On Thursday, Queen Elizabeth II died at 96. An outpouring of sympathy from the world leaders emphasized her dutiful service and stabilizing presence. Okay. President Biden issued a statement that commemorated her as a source of comfort and pride for generations of Britons. Remember, Britons, a monarch whose rule accompanied unprecedented human advancement and the forward march of human dignity. Barack and Michelle Obama struck a similar tone, characterizing the queen as a leader who took on the enormous task of helming one of the world's greatest democracies. Whew, laying it on thick. Even as the president and his predecessors praised the queen's commitment to dignity and democracy, the reaction was very different in the formerly colonized world where many refused to mourn. Instead, the internet exploded with memes, videos, and commentary that conjoined Queen Elizabeth's memory to chilling recent histories of colonial death and destruction. I'm reminded, you know, when it comes to um, the fact with Columbus Day and how some people don't celebrate Columbus Day because of what the terror and destruction he caused, you know, to many of the people, the indigenous people that he visited. Okay. And a lot of people are going to feel a certain way about that. Well, you have to look at history. Okay. That's it. Everything about countries are not uh, are not you know sunshines and rainbows. All right. There's a reason why you have people not liking Columbus, not liking Columbus Day, not liking certain holidays. It's just like some people don't like that favorite uncle or favorite auntie of yours when they died because of the things that they did in life to other people. And in some cases, sad to say, children. It's the same type of framework when it comes to people like Queen Elizabeth. Okay? And many others. This this juncture exposes how the Queen's death is a historical event, not only because of her unprecedented 70-year reign, but also because her life was 
intimately tethered to the history of the British Empire. The Queen's enduring image as a calm and steadying force in a chaotic modern world, the one constant in an inconstant world, is directly linked to the whitewashing of Britain's brutal colonial past. Here we go. Public memories of benevolent British Empire have been powerfully influenced by the official suppression of factual evidence producing historical narratives that do not accurately represent historical realities. The way we remember Her Majesty is connected to the questions about who gets to tell the history of the empire, who li whose lives are remembered, who are forgotten, democracy and dignity for whom and at whose expense. These are issues of critical importance that shape our historical understanding of racism, global economic inequality, and white supremacy in our contemporary world. The case of Kenya, where then Princess Elizabeth was on February 6, 1952, when her father, King George VI, died, epitomes the whitewashing of the empire of the British, history of the British Empire. The British began to colonize East Africa in the late 19th century. Beginning in 1901, the colonial administration had seized some of the best lands in Kenya and reserved them for European settlers in these areas officially known as the White Highlands. African people had no tenancy rights. And you wonder why people do not like the Queen. You have a part of Africa right now that you have white people there that's trying to make it a white-only town. I think it's called Eurasia. Okay? Urania. Urania. And you wonder why you have blacks not liking the queen. Okay? You wonder why you have people, blacks, talking about white supremacy today because it still exists. And you have those white settlers saying, oh, we're just going to have our small community, but they really want to expand. We're not racist, but you hate Mandela and you're against apartheid and you are pro apartheid. sad to say you have many blacks that will kowtow to this the house negro slave negro effect is global it's it's sad to say that's how it is one side will see the white supremacy the other side will see oh it's the greatest thing on earth it's just the fact that you must be a slave to white supremacy and let white supremacy abuse you just like the, this two party false system Re Democrat Republican they're both white supremacy they both want you in a plantation one says you can be pro-black but you must be pro everything else that destroys your family and your lineage the other one says you must say what we say in order to be liked by us to get our political buttermilk biscuits you want this nice house, you're going to say everything we want you to say. If Hitler was a good guy, Hitler is a good guy. Just like Candace Owens was saying. Alright? If Ahmad Arbery is guilty of robbery when he wasn't, you say that. And that is what Candace Owens said. And it took a black conservative on Twitter to check her for that. Okay, Donald Trump, when it came to the Central Park Five, did he ever apologize for the way he handled um, 
handled that situation? Did he ever apologize to those boys? When he manipulated, he paid the newspapers to trash those boys. When the information came out, okay, that the real rapist, Matias Reyes, was the one who raped that woman. Did he ever apologize? But he stood by, I think her name is Linda Fairstein. He stood by Linda Fairstein, the one who prosecuted those boys. He stood by her. And you want to say Trump's not racist. Look. Biden, Trump, choose your white supremacy. Okay? I'm not trying to go off the rails, but this is how it is. All right? Let's keep going. Africans resisted the colonial rule and its violent practices of land alienation, taxation, and compulsory labor after Kenya became a crown colony in 1920. Anti-colonial activists pressed the British government for changes to land ownership rules and political rights. The struggle continued for decades, including after World War II, as Britain refused to relinquish control over its global empire. This is Britain trying to say that we are fighting against Hitler. We're fighting against the evil Nazis, but you are being following in their Nazi ideology by be saying that you are the master race. You're not saying it, but you're showing it how you treat other people who don't have the same skin color as you. This is how you were treating blacks in Africa. When Elizabeth became queen, Kenya had become, had been under direct crown rule for over three decades and was one of the 70 colonies, protectorates, and mandates ruled by Britain. Beginning in the 1950s, the Mau Mau movement for land and freedom demanded the expulsion of white settlers from Kenya and the annihilation of the colonial system. In October 1952, after the Mau Mau murdered an appointed African chief who served British interests, colonial officers declared the state of emergency in an effort to crush the Mama and maintain their power. So this was basically like a slave revolt and they killed the house Negro. I'm not for murdering. Uh, I'm not for that. I'm not for murdering a person like that. The eight-year counterinsurgency involved the mass detention without trial of 150,000 people in a sprawling network of extrajudicial, extrajudicial prison and labor camps. Without trial, colonial agents, agents systematically used torture and violence to interrogate and rehabilitate Mau Mau suspects. As historians including David Anderson and Caroline Elkins have exposed, British officials at the highest levels of government knew about the state sanctioned atrocities including castration, rape, electrocution, starvation, sleep deprivation, and sexual assault. A June 1957 memo drafted by the Attorney General of the Kenyan Colonial Administration likened the mistreatment of suspected detainees to the conditions in Nazi Germany. Still, he advised the governor of Kenya, if we are going to sin, we must sin quietly. Here it is. He advised the governor of Kenya, if we are going to sin, we must sin quietly. The Mau Mau movement paved the way for Kenya to declare independence from Britain in 1963. But even after independence, British officials purposely destroyed and hid evidence of widespread violence perpetrated by the colonial administration against the Kenyan people. In 2011, troves of state secrets were discovered at a vast repository called 
Hanslope Park. Among 50 miles of the floor to the ceiling shelving were 60 meters of records that document human rights violations committed in Kenya from 1952 to 1960. Years after the UN adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, meanwhile, Kenyan people continued to resist and fight against colonial violence and the effort, official efforts to hide the truth about the histor their historical experiences. In 2009, the Mau survivors of torture filed a class action lawsuit against British government for ill treatment. Four years later, following the discoveries at Hanslow Park, the British government announced a plan to compensate living survivors in financial terms. It was a small win, but the moral victory was huge. I look at this one too, all right? So you're telling me this could happen? This is like reparations in a way. You tell me the United States government can't do the same thing for African Americans who are actual descendants of African sla African American slavery? I'm talking about actual descendants, not Jamaicans, not West Indians, Black Americans who are actual descendants of slavery. Colonial violence and the destruction of records documented were not unique to Kenya. The disappearance of evidence was official practice across Britain's mid-20th century empire. In fact, the systematic practice had an official name, Operation Legacy, from the 1950s through the 1970s at the height of the post-war decolonialization movements. Colonial officials in Kenya, Malaya, Malta, Aden, Nigeria, Uganda, Singapore, and elsewhere removed and destroyed files with potential embarrassing material. The purging of the official archive formed part of the institutionalized effort to shape the historical legacy of the empire as a global system that Britons could be proud of. One of the former Prime Minister David Cameron would later define as a help rather than a handicap to hundreds of millions of formerly colonized people. Speaking outside her new office at 10 Downing Street, the newly elected Prime Minister Liz Truss described the Queen as the rock on which the Britain, modern Britain was built. In doing so, she directly connected the image of a benevolent queen to the image of a benevolent empire by echoing Winston Churchill's 1942 description of the imperial Britain as the veritable rock of salvation in the drifting world. May I remind you about Winston Churchill and what he did to the Indians in India? Okay. He harmed them too. Look it up. He also was a very much a white supremacist. Very much so. This is why I see, I say a lot of times, it does not do well to join the military anymore. It doesn't. Well, for one, the risk of being sexually assaulted. Two, you're just a, as Henry Kissinger used to say, um... Military men are just dumb animals and pawns for foreign policy. You don't work. You're not for freedom. You are for um, corrupt politicians and bureaucrats. All right. That's what you are. You are beasts of burden and for white supremacy. That is what you are for. While some claim the queen was merely a ceremonial head of state, others refuse to accept a fairy tale rendering of the past that exonerates her of complicity in the colonial torture torture was the queen merely a figurehead or does she represent the way the empire wants to be remembered sincere dutiful service-oriented 
the 21st century depictions of white innocence and composure that define the Queen's portrayal in film and television are not incidental harmless nostalgia. They are central of the, to the erasure of colonial racism and violence, the persistent refusal to face the violent history of the empire and reckon with its enduring legacies as sustained by this image of a harmless and diminutive queen whose reign was marred only by private family scandals. Leslie, we not forget the biggest scandal of all, the only one of global historical significance, was the scandal of the empire. That's basically it. That is basically it. Okay. It's kind of like when people, when George Bush Sr. died, right? And, uh, you know, people forgot, they wanted to say he was this, you know, he was this uh, maverick. He was this brave guy. They do it with all of them. They do it with all of them. But they don't talk about the stuff that they did. Okay. They don't talk about that. Sad, 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 sad. But this is what they do. This is what they do. All right. Going to get into this story right now. have shot dead a man in his 20s after a car chase ended in South London. Officers say they were pursuing a suspect vehicle last night. Police apparently deliberately collided with the car to force it to stop, bringing the pursuit to an end in Streatham Hill. Residents reported hearing gunshots and a police helicopter in the sky above. There's a massive bang. I thought the neighbours roof had fallen off or something it was a real like i think it was like boom like something that maybe it bounced or something and i looked out the back window to see something had fallen and straight away i didn't really notice it before but straight away i could hear the helicopter very close in the air and that's not terribly unusual for out here but it's something that was like you know just felt more intense so it's usually fairly fairly calm around here so it's a bit, bit of a shock well, our crime correspondent, Martin Brunton, uh, joins me now live. Uh, Martin, what more details have you got about the pursuit and the incident itself? Well, the police watchdog, the Independent Office for Police Conduct, has taken over this investigation, and their investigators have been here uh, since last night, working through the night, probably about to hand over to a new team. And the kind of thing they're trying to establish is you know, vital things like was there a weapon, a non-police weapon, retrieved from the scene? What was the reason for the police pursuit? Those are the vital questions. Um, that will be asked how many officers were involved, how many shots were fired, and trying to establish as closely as they can the exact circumstances and what prompted 
uh, the shooting were any shots fired at the police now uh, I don't have answers to any of those and I think at this stage investigators aren't absolutely clear they will have got last night's um, initial statements very brief statements from the officers involved um, but it may take some longer time to establish exactly what happened um, the facts according to the police are that this happened just before 10 o'clock last night police had pursued uh, a vehicle from Lambeth so sounds as though it was heading south probably hadn't traveled very far uh, they came to this road here uh, police rammed the car or um, <coughs> not clear how violent uh, that was um, but they brought it to a halt uh, according to witnesses uh, the officers got out, asked the driver to get out, uh, and according to another witness, the car moved towards the police cars, and then a shot or shots were fired. Um, there's no official identification of the man who died, but there is a name on the street. Friends of the man they think was the victim here who died have been talking uh, about their um, how distraught they are, how they recognized him from the car number plate, the car's still here. Uh, they say he was on his way to see friends and they are, like his family, completely puzzled and shocked. You hear that again. Uh, they came to this road here. Uh, police rammed the car, or um, <coughs> not clear how violent uh, that was, um, but they brought it to a halt uh, according to witnesses, uh, the officers got out, asked the driver to get out, uh, and according to another witness, the car moved towards the police cars, and then a shot or shots were fired. Um, there's no... Okay, so... The car was pushed, the car was in the direction of the cops, according to a witness, and the... Uh, the man still proceeded to drive forward and the cops shot at the car. Hmm. Official identification of the man who died, but there is a name on the street. That's what I wanted to know. That's what I wanted to know. Alright, that's what I wanted to know. Alright, um... The name of the per the name of the person that he is talking about is he is a black man by the name of Chris Kaba. Okay, father to be twenty four was unarmed when he was shot dead by police after a chase. After a chase, watchdog reveals as his family called for a murder probe and asked if he wasn't black, would he have been arrested or not, or not shot? Arrested, not shot. Father to be was unarmed when he was shot. Dead by police on Monday after a chase was sparked when his car number plates were triggered an alert the police watchdog has revealed. Chris Kaba, 24, was due to become a father within months. Died after a chase that ended in Streamhill, South London, on Monday night. The rapper's Audi was hemmed in by two police cars in a narrow residence street Kirkstall Gardens before one round was fired from a police weapon. Police officers administered CPR immediately after the scene and Mr. Cobble was taken to the hospital where he died later in the night. The independent office 
for police conduct the IOPC confirmed the watchdog said it was understood that police had tried to stop him after the activation of an automatic number plate recognition camera indicating the car he was driving was linked to a firearms incident in the previous days however no firearms were found in his car or at the scene following a search on Tuesday night okay that's the thing all right that is the issue here all right he was driving in a car that set off the police system indicating the car he was driving was linked to a firearms incident so what if he didn't have a he didn't have a gun at the time the point that matter he was driving a car that was used in a crime okay In a statement on Wednesday, the IOPC said, We understand at this stage that police officers in an armed response vehicle attempted to stop the vehicle Mr. Kaba was in. Following the activation of the automatic number plate recognition camera, which indicated the vehicle was linked to a firearms incident in the previous days. As the investigation into that incident is ongoing by the MPS, it would not be appropriate to provide further information. It added... A detailed search of the scene and the surrounding areas was completed last night. No non-police issue firearm has been recovered from the the vehicle or the scene. Alright. Forensic examinations will be completed on Mr. Cobb's car and some of the police vehicles involved in the incident, the watchdog said. Regional Director Sal Neeson said... The IOPC is committed to carrying out thorough and comprehensive investigation to establish all the facts surrounding in the shooting. All right. So I'll stop there. You can look up more information for yourself. But um, from what I'm reading, it doesn't look pretty good. All right. It doesn't. You already have people, you know, BLM out there trying to, you know, doing their protests and stuff like that. But I will say this, okay? Um, you can't be protesting. You got to get the facts first. <clears throat> you get the facts and then you decide to protest, okay? Because you have some people that cause their own death at the hands of police. Why was there a chase? If the police tried to stop you, why was there a chase? Why didn't you stop your car? Why did you proceed to put your car and drive towards the police? I'm thinking the fact that you know you're guilty of something. You know that car you drove was used in the process of a crime. And this is what some blacks don't want to understand. It's starting to become, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, the fact that I am black. I should be a protected class no matter what I do. You try to stop me in the process of a crime. If you find information that I did commit a crime days or months or a year prior, you dare try to stop me. You're a racist. That is what it's coming down to. And that is breeding racism, racism and that is wrong. Okay, that is wrong and that has to stop and it's hurting people of real police brutality. 
real racism. Next up. This is why I always stay from crypto. I was kind of nervous with cryptocurrency. Um, all these other coins. They all got out there. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Humongous bananas lost at $258 billion. That is so much money, right? It's a, it's a $258 billion lawsuit by a crypto investor who's accusing Elon Musk of running a pyramid scheme to support Dogecoin. Dogecoin, I think is how you say it, right? Musk himself admitted to starting it as a joke to make fun of it. They say to make fun of cryptos. No response from Musk here, but it comes just hours after we got other Elon Musk news because he's meeting today with Twitter staff ahead of that $44 billion takeover. He told the team he wants 1 billion, again, billion with a B, 1 billion active users. There's about 230 million now, so that's big growth that he hopes to see. And he says he will tolerate, quote, pretty outrageous tweets. That is a lot of people wondering what that means. CNBC is reporting he also assured employees on a video call they can work from home. And that layoffs would depend on the overall financial health of the company. He also said he didn't need to be CEO. The source tells CNBC, there's Slack message board. Were negative. Imagine that. Bad messages on Slack. One Twitter user with knowledge of the call summed it up with a tweet on the highlights, which included the answer to whether he'd ever seen an alien. He hasn't. The one question he didn't answer, will he actually buy Twitter? Jay Ford is joining me now with all the details. Like, let me like, lay this out right in the backdrop here, because a lot of people were like, okay, Elon Musk is having this town hall with Twitter employees. We're probably going to get some headlines out of it. If you had aliens on your Elon Musk bingo card, like, good for you, because this went in some directions that I think people didn't expect. That's right, Ellie. You shouldn't really be betting on anything around Elon Musk. And I have to say, you know, I think of myself as a fairly busy person, but you know what I mean? Elon Musk, I mean, there's a lot going on in that guy's life yeah. right now. So that's right. Let's start first with this lawsuit, right? The, the uh, Dogecoin, and you're right to say it that way. Thank you. No, but that's the right way to do it. You're right. And, you know, he, he basically says that he and others like him, so you can imagine he's going to be the, the lead plaintiff in what is going to wind up being a big class action essentially lost about $86 billion over the course of Dogecoin's existence. It was invented in part as a joke, and its co-founders basically said that it was based on something called the greater fool theory, that you could pass on the idea of it to other people who are greater fools than you are. They literally referenced that. A joke? And you let money ride on a joke? say what they want. 
on Twitter, but there was a caveat to this, no? That's right, absolutely, and it's so interesting to be hearing him talk about this after everything we've watched in the January 6th hearings and yeah. the incredible damage that misinformation seems to be able to do, right? It's amazing to hear him then go on in this meeting, talk about things like anyone should be able to say anything they want within the law. He talked about the caveat of not amplifying those things. He said, you know, freedom of speech is not freedom of reach, which is a phrase sort of popularized by researchers around this stuff. He also, though, interestingly said that people should be able to get the blue check mark next to their name that denotes them as a verified user. Of Twitter currently, it's awarded to people based on their academic credentials or their journalistic credentials. He thinks people should be able to buy that verified status. I'm not sure how you square the idea that people shouldn't be amplified unless they're solid. But you know, the whole thing is just so interesting because you see this guy sorting through the issues around Twitter almost in real time, and at the same time, he's saying, "Yeah, I'm against that, man. I mean, if you have credentials, you have to be you. You should be given a certain type of uh, status." We work, <clears throat> we're in a class society, okay? A lot of people don't like to hear that, but it is true. We're in a class society. Would you want somebody talking to you about medical? Would you like somebody to perform or, or give surgical advice if they have not passed any, if they have not gone to school for medical school? No, you would not. Would you want somebody talking to you about engineering to... Um, be, would you want somebody advising you how to build a building if they've never if they never uh, graduated for school for civil engineering? No, you would not. So, yeah, um, that's basically it. We have classes and degrees for a reason. All right, that shows you can be trusted. It shows that you know what you're talking about. So, um, that's insane, man. It really is. Elon Musk isn't somebody that people can really trust, okay? It's not somebody to really trust. That's how I see it. Um, $250 billion. Whew. Dogecoin racketeering lawsuit filed against Elon Musk has expanded. Massive crypto pump and dump scheme alleged. A high-profile racketeering lawsuit filed against Elon Musk, accusing the Tesla CEO of running a pyramid scheme involving the cryptocurrency Dogecoin, has now expanded. An amended complaint that was filed this week in a Manhattan federal court saw seven new investor plaintiffs added to the suit as well as six new defendants. The lawsuit maintains that Musk Telsa, Musk Space Tourism Company SpaceX, Tunnels Construction uh, Business Boring, and other parties purposely drove up the price of Dogecoin cryptocurrency by more than 36,000% across a span of two years and then allowed it to crash. This allowed the defendants to profit to the tune of tens of billions of dollars at the expense of others who invested in cryptocurrency. 
This is why I was never into cryptocurrency. According to the complaint, with this was done with full awareness that Dogecoin lacked intrinsic, intrinsic value and that its value depended solely on marketing. The original lawsuit for $250 billion was filed in June. The amount is three times the estimated decline in the market value of the cryptocurrency. Since May of last year, when its value was $0.74, cents, it traded at around $0.06 cents yesterday. The suit alleges defendants falsely and deceptively claim that Dogecoin is a legitimate investment when it has no value at all. Since defendant Musk and his corporations SpaceX and Telsa Incorporated began purchasing, developing, promoting, supporting, and operating Dogecoin in 2019. That's a lot for a joke. You invested in a joke like this? Plaintiff and the class have lost approximately $86 billion in this crypto pyramid scheme. When the lawsuit was originally filed, Musk announced he was buying even more Dogecoin in hopes of giving it to a price boost. Telsa and SpaceX also allow customers to buy merchandise from their websites using the cryptocurrency. The suit was filed by Dogecoin investor Keith Johnson, who alleges that Musk ran a pyramid scheme by promoting the coin. Telsa CC, um, the Telsa CEO is also being accused of advertising the crypto as a legitimate investment on his social media accounts in order to articulately inflate its price. Again, you, you advertise this as something legit and you're saying it was meant to be a joke. In addition to monetary damages, Johnson is looking to block Musk and his businesses from future promotion of the cryptocurrency. The coin saw a major rally during the first half of the last year, due in small part of the frequent, small part to frequent tweets by Musk, accompanied by memes. The rally screeched to a halt after Musk appeared on Saturday Night Live and called Dogecoin a hustle. The meme cryptocurrency has fallen 92.33% from its peak of 73 cents. Wow. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and it's now considered one of the worst performing altcoins despite bringing its sizable returns for its earliest investors. Among the new defendants are Dogecoin Foundation, a nonprofit that offers support for the cryptocurrency. Telsa appears to be backing away from cryptocurrency at a large extent. The company announced this summer that they had sold three quarters of their Bitcoin holdings. However, in a quarterly investor call, in July, Musk said that Telsa still held Dogecoin. We have not sold any of our Dogecoin. We still have it, he noted. Although Musk has stated in the past that he personally owns Dogecoin, it was not clear whether Telsa did until Musk's comment during the investor call. However, it is not known whether they only possess it because they accept it for merchandise on their website or if they are <clears throat> making dedicated purchases of it. The firm disclosed that they owned 218 million worth of digital assets after selling off Bitcoin worth 963 million. It is believed that the majority of their remaining digital assets are Bitcoin. So, you mean to tell me you ripped off all these people and try to say it was a joke while you're laughing to the bank. Uh, talk about a disturbed individual. That's all I got to say. He's a very disturbed individual.
<clears throat> That's what I could say. Now we go on to someone being punished for doing a good deed. I guess what they say is true. No good deed goes unpunished. Let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. Crazy. Why couldn't she give that man food? It's her money. She paid for it. I, if I was a manager and cops come to my establishment because of this, I would have fired the employee. This is nonsense. Serious? Joe Ortega says she was just trying to do a good deed. I can't order for this homeless man right here who asked for food. Her initial disbelief that employees wouldn't let her buy a two-piece for the man experience. Experiencing homelessness. They called the cops on me, everything, bro. Quickly turned into anxiety when the cops showed up. At that moment, I was terrified. I thought I was going to get arrested. So I, mean, I was like, well, maybe I should just call my family and tell them I might not be coming home tonight. APD confirmed that they did respond, but they didn't do anything since Ortega didn't break any laws. She says they actually commended her. The officer pulled me to the side and was like, I really thank you for doing that. Thank you for buying him food. I appreciate that. Also grateful that man with the empty stomach caught in the middle of all the drama over drumsticks. My name's Jazz, and uh, thanks. Ortega says she eventually got a hold of the general manager at the store who felt terrible about the whole thing. She said he ended up letting her and Jazz buy anything they wanted that night. Oftentimes, the homeless are treated like stray animals, stray cats. If we feed them, they're going to keep coming back. We don't want them to keep coming back. That Can you imagine being a manager and you have to deal with that? This is nonsense. This is nonsense. Why would you call the police on a woman feeding the homeless? So what? He's not causing any problems. Man, this this is this is nonsense, man. It really is. Okay, and plus you call the police on her? What if that was the wrong cop? What if it was just a dirty cop that day? And he just didn't like black people. Just didn't like black people. Now what? Now what? That could have been a scene right there. All because of you. That would, You know how much bad press that would be? And that lady who was just feeding that homeless man would have gotten a nice hunk of change. Probably would have owned that Popeye's. 
All because this woman feels that this homeless man shouldn't get food. Because he's white. Maybe that could be the case. Maybe. I'm just saying, maybe that could be the case. Guess what? Blacks can be racist too. attention, Popeye said in a statement to Fox 5 that all of their employees at that store have been retrained on how to talk to guests. Ortega has started an online fundraiser to help Jazz find permanent housing. Well, my story came to a uh, positive ending. It really did. But really, that, that what was done was uncalled for. It's such a minuscule... Just, minis- just a minuscule trifling thing to do. People who are bitter do that type of stuff. Alright. Let's see what's going on with Young Thug. Let's see what's going on with him. Rico charges. What's wrong with it being recorded? Why Why should he have a cell phone in jail? That's what I want to know. Why do you need a cell phone in jail? A lot of... Entitlement. Entitlement. State can tell whether he's talking about any discovery. He has done nothing. Nothing to my knowledge to obstruct or intimidate at all. And to... Wait a minute. He did nothing to obstruct. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, so this is the man who's trying to get people to um, sign some sort of uh, pledge to keep the prosecution from using his songs as evidence against him because they were rapping about the criminal activity in their songs. And then you have other rappers joining in saying that it's attacking black culture. Like I said before, they know what they're doing and they're brainwashing the youth. To say that, you know, don't let them do this to me. You know, I'm your messiah. Because a lot of these entertainers, these rap artists, they're, they are um, messiahs to these kids who grew up in at-risk homes. Okay? That's what it is. KRS-One said it best. Hip-hop is a religion. This rap, hip-hop, it's a religion. And they know what they're doing. They know the power they have. Hey, even a Young Thug fan tried to attack and threaten um, Fannie Willis. They don't care that these people are terrorizing neighbors. They don't care if their music influenced drug dealers to go and kill 
fellow blacks. They just like the music. That's it. Found me with the others. Other people want to not share with their client until November 25th. They could do whatever they want. But I have the biggest issues here. I am in all of these overt acts. I have all of these witnesses to deal with. And if I can't share this information... Why can't you just sit in the same room with him in a monitored room, exchange it and just talk to your client? Why can't you do that? He shouldn't have a cell phone. Okay, he's in custody for RICO charges. What does it matter? The entitlement. He was lonely. He crying that he can't be in jail. Well, you shouldn't have been doing what you did. There is not a cell phone in the Cobb County Jail. He is in isolation by himself. His cell was just searched yesterday. So I'd ask. He in isolation by himself as protection because he's a public figure. Dude, please, for Mr. Williams. Also, the biggest person, you know, I heard Mr. Kitchen's counsel say there's no witnesses, one witness who's exculpatory to him. We are going to be involved in this case from every witness so far. And I need Mr. Williams' help. All right, sir. Thank you. And, and I don't think the state carried their burden to show that Mr. Williams did anything untoward towards any witness. I understand that there's a concern. I share that concern. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But I can share this with Mr. Williams within the confines that the court has 
ordered him, or the sheriffs, I guess, have ordered him to be housed without him um, giving out this information. I don't believe he would do it anyway, but there are, there are um, ways to check to see what he's talking about. So I would ask to um, be allowed to share with him at all times, and I'd like, I, I feel very strong. I wouldn't. You don't believe? You don't know this man. You do not know this man. You All you know that he is your client, and that's it. I don't know, man. Being a lawyer, you really have to have no... You have to be okay with defending any all types of scumbags. That's what you have to be okay with. Take your time. I feel very strong. I understand that, sir. I understand that. Yes, Mr. Geary. What were you going to say, sir? What purports to be an Instagram post from Mr. Williams last weekend, which would have been from the Cobb County Jail, can't ascertain that I saw him here. But there's an Instagram post. Somebody else controls Mr. Williams' uh, Instagram account. I mean, because he, he obviously probably does not have a, a phone in jail. So, um, shouldn't have access to no Twitter accounts, nothing. You give him some books to read, you know, you let him have some time exercising in the yard, you know, that's it. Have time working on his case, that is it. He doesn't deserve anything else. And they trying to find ways to have wiggle room and stuff like that. This man is done. That's, I really do think that he is done. And this should be a lesson to every other black, young black youth or black entertainer who wants to be an entertainer and still want to be doing the drug game on the side. Somebody tweet to Michael Phelps, can you swim 100 miles in the ocean? 
You're about to spend life in prison. You talking to Olympic swimmer. For what? What can he do for you? Is he going to bail you out? No. This is nonsense. Nothing to do with intimidation. I'd ask you, well, if, if I can communicate through a family member or somebody else, then I can communicate something else. It's recorded. So? It would be found out immediately. That That is a crime. Witness intimidation is a crime. It could and you don't think that he won't talk to the right person. First is Michael Phelps. Then it'll be somebody a little closer to the criminal element that you don't know about, but Young Thug knows about. And the fact that a lawyer is actually arguing this, a defense lawyer is arguing this, knowing the severity of this case, knowing the type of client you are defending, is the reason why I could never be a lawyer. Hell no, don't change your mind. Hell no. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank Your you, sir. Your Honor, this is Steve Sadel. May I respond for two seconds to the suggestion about prosecution and defense not uh, communicating outside of court? I just want to bring one matter to the court's attention real quick, if I might. Yes, sir. Uh, if we send a specific question in writing to the prosecutors... I'm hoping that they will reconsider and at least respond directly to the question. The alternative to that is to file some type of motion with the court, which would, under normal circumstances, never need to be filed. For example, I listened to something in discovery was a dropout. I've asked a specific question whether this was an actual dropout or in some form or fashion there was a redaction. That, that, that was the question asked. If I can't get an answer to that simple question, then I have to file a motion with the court in order to get that response from the state. That seems to me to be a total waste, not of my time, not of the state's time, but of your honor's time. And we're trying to avoid that. So maybe the state could reconsider oral communications, one thing, verbal communications, same thing. But if it's in writing, maybe they could reconsider their position and respond so we don't tie the court up in matters that it doesn't need to be involved in. Okay. All right. Look, you all just communicate with each other. I mean, I understand you all have an information kind of um, choke point given the equities that are involved, but, you know, I think all of you are still subject to, you know, very very hefty penalties if this stuff gets if this stuff goes goes sideways so please consider the normal chains of communication and yes the penalties they ain't thinking about that they're not thinking about that this man is desperate he is trying to get out any way he can and trying to intimidate witnesses you don't think he's trying to do that Come on now. Those of you that I mentioned earlier, all of you, I should say, just be mindful of, of confidentiality and communication. 
it's, it's still very, very important, and it would resolve, and probably um, everyone would better be served by it, so that so that you can continue to pursue discovery and get what you need. Um, so, Ms. Rosenwasser, you're gonna prepare an order for my. Saying, man, it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. <sighs> Looks like it's going to be a cold winter. And I ain't talking about the Kevin Samuels type. Get into it. More corporate landlords are buying up apartments in New York City, pushing out families that have owned these buildings for decades. One neighborhood where this has become especially common is the East Village. And longtime residents aren't happy about it. Arthur Chan spoke with some of them about why they're so concerned. While the East Village is one of the trendiest neighborhoods, it's become part of a new trend some would prefer to skip. Corporations have been buying up chunks of the East Village. The most recent example, two connected buildings, 305 East 11th Street and 310 East 12th. They combined 89 units. Residents like Maria, who's lived here her whole life, tell us the corporate takeover threatens the long-standing close-knit community that has blossomed here. It's really just like heartbreaking. Everyone says hi to each other. Everyone knows each other. All of my hand-me-downs as a kid were from my neighbor downstairs. Then I gave them all to the kids down the hall. All of my babysitting jobs were from people in the building. The real estate corporation, Meadow Partners, bought the two buildings for $58 million. And they now own 430 units in total in just the East Village. The company says it is looking forward to modernizing the buildings and that the market rate units are renting below market value. With New York City in the middle of skyrocketing rents and soaring demand, those who live here tell us that tenants are being told their leases will not be renewed and they have to move out when their current lease runs out. This five-year resident asked we maintain her privacy. We know it's already happening. People are, are being, you know, forced out. There are families that we've, um, with young children who've had to move, um, families with babies. There are, there are also, there's also a sizable population of older residents in the building, um, many of whom have lived in the building for decades. According to Satish Nori of the housing justice group Just Fix, more and more corporations are becoming landlords, and that for the residents here, it may mean massive rent hikes or getting pushed out altogether. In fact, 89% of landlords of buildings with three or more apartments are corporations. And so this means that these corporations are in the business of making money. If they can profit even 1% by pushing out a family who's been there for decades, they will do so. Some have said that when a company takes over a property like this, it's not always bad news that a bigger company might have deeper pockets and be able to afford repairs that a private individual owner cannot afford. But residents here say that is not the scenario that's shaping up in their beloved building in the East Village. Arthur Chien. Yeah, this is becoming sad, man. Because it's going to be a... It's, it's coming to a point where... There's not going to be a middle class of people or people that are doing a little bit well off. Um, corporations are taking advantage of it. And that's what's happening. That's what's going on. 
it's sad to say, but you're going to have a lot of rich corporations, wealthy people. They're going to take advantage of the people that are soon becoming the have-nots. It's going to be the haves and the have-nots. That's what's happening. Slowly but surely. That's what's going on. And I hate to say it, but it's going to be a lot of sad things are going to be happening come this winter. All right. And now we have we have this. I don't know what to say about this, but I will say this that uh um men have to stay away from married women. Okay? Men have to stay away from married women. And men I, I don't it's not just men that are destroying relationships either. Take a look. Today in the case of the Alameda County Sheriff's deputy arrested in the shooting deaths of a married couple in Dublin. Our crime reporter Henry Lee spoke with the suspect's mother and joins us now from the Santa Rita Jail in Dublin with more. Henry. Mike and Juliet confirmed this deputy was involved in a romantic relationship with the woman he's now accused of gunning down along with her husband. Now that deputy's mother telling me her son... It, see... This is what's not really talked about as much. You always hear about the man cheating. But you never hear about the woman cheating and destroying her own household. You, never, you don't hear about that. You don't hear about this much. If she had been faithful to her husband, this wouldn't have happened. Okay? Well, you don't know what the husband's been doing. She could always divorce... She could always get a restraining order and she could always move. It's sad. Son was blinded by love and that she tried to warn him. Alameda County Sheriff's Deputy Devin Williams Jr. now behind bars at the very same jail where he worked just hours before the violence. It's a stunning turn for a law enforcement officer now accused of fatally shooting married couple Benison and Maria Tran in their five-bedroom home on Colbrook Lane in Dublin early Wednesday morning. I've learned that the deputy had been in a romantic relationship with 42-year-old Maria Tran, seen here in this undated photo. She was gunned down along with 57-year-old Benison Tran, her husband of two decades and a retired engineer for the city of Santa Clara. She told him she loved him. Uh, they wanted Let me get a look at that picture again. Hold on. Along with 57-year-old Benison Tran, her relationship with 42-year-old Maria Tran, seen here in this undated photo. She was gunned down along with 57-year-old Benison Tran, her husband of two decades and a retired engineer for the city of Santa Clara. She told him she loved him. Uh, they were on a 10-day trip. By phone, the deputy's mother, Anitra Williams, told me her son had started a relationship with Maria Tran back in January. The two met at John George Psychiatric Hospital, where Tran worked as a nurse. Maria Tran Tran. Psychiatric Hospital. <sighs> the young man was a simp. Single parent who had been 
recently divorced. She said, lies, lies, lies. Wow, this guy was a simp and he couldn't. She urged her son to stay clear of her. Anitra Williams made clear violence is unacceptable. Bottom line is right now there's a young boy that's missing both his mother and father. I, I don't condone anything that happened. She says her son called her while driving in the Central Valley. I told him the cowardly thing to do would be to take your life. I talked to my son and told my son tap into who I raised you to be. The deputy then spoke to the Dublin police chief and surrendered to CHP officers in Colinga. Williams was a former Stockton police officer but failed his probationary period after a year. Our people are, are saying... Uh, red flag, red flag. He failed his probationary period. Why was he still allowed to be a cop? I want to also ask, what? where was this young man's dad? How about that? Where was the young man's dad? Where was the young man's dad? Not do something right. Sheriff's Lieutenant Ray Kelly says no one was aware of the deputy's inner turmoil. Somewhere in the last several months of his life, some significant events happened that led up to this moment. A lot of those events went undiscovered. What happened? Where was his dad? That's what I like to know. Where was his dad? Now that deputy's being held without bail here at Santa Rita Jail in Dublin, the DA is reviewing the case before determining whether to file formal charges one Because the thing is, is like, I mean, a dad could tell you about women. A mother, well, a mother can, but, um, a mother can tell you, right? But it's, I, I think it's, for me personally, I think a father can tell you more about women like this a father could tell, I just I just feel a father's imprint could tell a son listen son these type of women are no good okay okay just stay away you got a good head on your shoulders son stay away from these women and she lied and said she was a uh single mother no man this is a messy story man just one messy story last thing the deputy said he tossed his on-duty gun allegedly used in the killings out of his car in the altamont pass area that gun has still not been found reporting live in dublin henry lee ktvu fox 2 news henry have we learned anything more about the child the couple had a, a child where is that child did the child witness what happened? Yeah, the child is a boy about 12 or 13 years old. He was among about six other folks in the home. Uh, we don't know if he uh, witnessed the actual crime, but uh, we trust that he's now with relatives. All right, Henry Lee. Sad, man. It's so sad what happened here. You got women out here destroying homes too. Said she was a single mother. Ah, man. But the reality is, he failed his probation. That's it. No, 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 no. You can't. You can't go on, man. So there's a lot of blame to go around And there's going to be lawsuits A lot of lawsuits here
That's what's going to happen. Real messed up situation, man. can't be a sucker for love, man. You cannot be a sucker for love. Can't do it. Now on to the next story. We have more of these out on bond cases than I I, I could never fathom. I mean, it's basically you're going to have to do some serious bail reform. You're going to have to do some reform. You commit serious crimes, heinous crimes, you stay in there till you serve your full sentence. That's how it should go. This man took a life already. And he's back on the streets. It's insane, man. This is this is this crap keeps happening over and over and over again. And the only thing that is increasing is more loved ones have to bury their children or their spouses or their co-workers. This shouldn't be. The justice system is supposed to help people, not encourage, not create more suffering. I mean, we were just so frustrated. 
last year. This time it was raised to 75,000, but he got out again. Womack's case is in Judge Greg Glass's 208th District Court. He's a judge K211 Investigates has reported on before for similar cases. On August 28th, Harris County Precinct 3 Constable Deputy Omar Urson was shot and killed driving home after picking up dinner for his family. Investigators charged Womack and Asim Taylor Jr. with his murder. His mom says she told prosecutors that was her biggest fear, someone else becoming a victim. I told her I, I knew that that was going to happen. I knew that they were going to hurt somebody else because that was my outcry to her originally was... I don't want them to do this to anybody else. Both of the suspects in the deputies killing are due back in court on Monday. Prosecutors are asking in both cases for no bond. Cheryl, back. There shouldn't have been any bond to begin with. The judges who um, presided over those cases need to be sued. They need to be sued. Period. Right? That's what needs to happen. Like I said, this is this is it's ridiculous, man. I'd be so angry if I was that father. Boiling mad. Here's the next story. Flex alert for the fifth day. The brutal heat wave is putting pressure on the state's power grid. Everyone is being encouraged to save power. KKL 9's Tina Ezzedine is live in Glendale this morning with a look at the impact of the hot temperatures. Tina. Good morning. And uh, because it is a beautiful good morning, albeit a hot warm one, uh, the sunrise just taking place here about a half hour ago, and as the sun continues to rise here, it's 81 degrees in Glendale at 7 o'clock in the morning and 46% humidity. But a beautiful morning as we take a look. This is for you ladies and all of our wonderful viewers. The hills hovering over Glendale today, where it is expected that this is going to be the hottest day during this excessive heat wave. And uh, that's partially why Glendale Water and Power is warning that it may be forced to implement rolling power outages to customers. That starts today, possibly, folks, and extends that possibility through Tuesday. There are businesses like laundromats that opened at uh, 6 o'clock this morning, this particular one staying open until 11 at night. They're certainly worried about the potential impact a loss of power may have to its bottom line. This, in addition to hundreds and hundreds of other businesses and homes in Glendale, simply trying to get through the heat wave under the looming threat of rolling power outages. Customers may be without power for approximately one hour at a time. Now, these will be rolling outages, which means that the outage cycle, it varies in location and at different parts of the city at various times. Again, this is if the utility company feels it is need necessary to take 
this measure. Now, some of the residents that we are running into out here, uh, pre-dawn as they come into the laundromat to try and fluff and fold, uh, we're finding that they're not aware of this possibility until we tell them. And the business owner is bracing for the possibility of no electricity, which also means no business. If we lose power, I think everything pretty much stops. So the Wi-Fi, so we can't do pavements, the machines can't turn. And so all of this, of course, is coming as overall the state of California and uh, here in the Southland, we are experiencing a flex alert, which is the uh, state uh, basically urging us to all do our part to conserve energy that's coming from uh, the state from four o'clock until nine o'clock at night. So uh, that on top of the local demand here to save power in uh, Glendale and the possibility of these looming power outages starting today, that possibility, as I mentioned, extending until Tuesday. Folks here just trying to do what they can to stay cool and the possibility of no air conditioning for many has uh, been the talk of this morning here in Glendale. Yeah, man, that is the, that's what's going on, okay, and you know what happens, well, we're in, we're in, uh, we're in September now, but certain parts of the, of the U.S. is still gonna feel like summer, that's the thing, alright, and in the summertime, when it's, it, that's the time when you have crime, and people in parts of the U.S. where it's usually hot for most of the year, they are going to have some issues. Okay? They're really going to have some really uncomfortable issues. That's what's going to go down. But uh, we're going to have some unfortunate news for, you know, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Pertaining to... Mr. Biden Alright <clears throat> Biden lied about saving Jackson, Mississippi From their failure Their failing sewer infrastructure And now after recent flooding Residents must boil sewer water Yes, that's what I said Sewer water for drinking Welcome to Third World Jackson, Mississippi Where 180,000 hunter gatherers Can't find drinkable water While human feces flows down the street after floods ravaged the city What happened to the trillion dollar infrastructure Bill money that Biden promised Would save Flint, Michigan And Jackson, Mississippi And from having to flush their toilets With bottled water Did Nancy Pelosi spend all that money on ice cream Where's the 400 million that Jackson City, city Council Recently unanimously approved For 2021 and 2022 For their operation budget, operating budget doesn't operating mean having running water to take showers, flush toilets, and drink to survive? Are all these governments at every level 100% corrupt to the core that they embezzle all the funds and never spend a dime on the allotted and severely dilapidated 
infrastructure. How many more Democrat-run cities in America can the governments turn into third-world hellholes? What are all the taxes? What are all the taxes being used for? Is anyone held accountable? In a city of 180,000 people, there are no functioning water systems, so they must be urinating and defecating somewhere other than their toilets. But where? How are restaurants washing dishes, or do they even bother anymore? Since it's all breaking down into a third-world existence. Will raw human feces soon be running down the gutter of the streets of Jackson? People might confuse it with San Francisco. In August of 2021, resident Joe Biden pretended to sympathize with the city's struggles when promoting the taxpayer-funded fake infrastructure bill worth $1 trillion U.S. dollars, which is completely disappearing into the pockets of politicians and to support Hunter Biden's porn and crack addictions. Biden said, never again can we allow what happened in Flint, Michigan and Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson's crippled wastewater system has been ignored for years and remains under a state of emergency right now. It's literally a life or death crisis. The two state agencies responsible for allocating millions of dollars in federal infrastructure funds say it could be at least mid to late 2023 before any money at all shows up. Wait, what? The Democrat mayor of Jackson, Chakwi Anta Lamumba, says he needs billions of dollars to fix the decayed system. One resident is on the record saying lives have been compromised daily due to the water crisis and pushing this another year to 2023 is simply not going to work for the citizens of Jackson, especially when we talk about humanity and preserving life. Yes, the state legislator already received $450 million from the Congressional COVID relief package passed in 2021, but says they can't release any of it until every city and county dollar, it, dollar matches it dollar for dollar. Jackson only has $25 million, which would hardly even scratch the surface of the multi-billion dollar polluted water catastrophe they're experiencing right now. There are residents in hospitals right now in Jackson, Mississippi, who need clean water for dialysis, and it's simply not available and can't be accounted for by any politicians. What happened to all the money? There are problems everywhere, including water main breaks, sewage spills onto the residential streets, perennial service disruptions, and a history of deferred maintenance, and the city's entire budget spent and wasted. Boil water notices are plastered all over the city. The water there often suffers from elevated lead levels and now it's got urine and feces in it state health officials are warning pregnant women and young children not to drink the city's water but somehow it's fine for everyone else it's all part of the population reduction agenda as many black citizens have been neglected by the broke city and seen decades of population loss it's all about abortions at planned parenthood gene therapy um yes um <clears throat> Yes, Jackson, Mississippi is a majority black city with Democrats running the smoke and mirrors infrastructure. It's literally a clown show with brown water flowing down the streets while politicians bathe in money. Meanwhile, citizens can't take a bath. They can't wash their dishes. They can't drink the water. Don't forget the progressive mayor of Jackson once promised to turn Jackson into the most radical city on the planet. Congratulations. By the way, where is the mass media's apology to all the preppers urged who urge Americans to buy water filters for the last decade. Okay. So, um, 
That's basically what's going on. Okay, Biden is doing his part for white supremacy. All right. That's what's going down. And uh, it's, it's terrible, but this is what he's doing to black people. All right. Don't believe me? Let me show you. secondary delivery system so that disaster was diverted uh, for residents inside the city of Flint because of a new uh, system that we built uh, here in the city of Flint. Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely says the city immediately switched to their backup water source this morning avoiding a boil water advisory. This all comes after a 120 inch water main break was discovered in Macomb County along the Great Lakes Water Authority water line. That's where Flint gets their water from. Right now 13 communities are under a boil water communities that remain under the boil water advisory the only part of in michigan that is under that advisory is a small portion of lapeer county there's no timetable as to when that advisory could be lifted for these areas well the city of flint was able to avoid going under a boil water advisory due to their backup water supply they put in place earlier this year the city is now getting its water from the genesee county Drain Commission in Michigan House. Chloe Godbold has been on this story all day, and she joined us now live in the content center. Chloe, it looks like the city's backup plan worked. It did. So, Dave, that's a great question, Mayor Sheldon Neely tells me. The backup plan did work, or if I may say, the backup water system worked. And now the water is coming from the Genesee County Drain Commission until the problem with Gliwa is solved. Mayor Sheldon Neely says they made the quick decision to switch over to the city's secondary water delivery system this morning when they got word of the major water main break with Gliwa. The backup water system cost them $17 million, money he says was well spent. The Boy River water was the backup source of water. Uh, I made a decision, a conscious decision that we never again would the residents have to drink from the Flint River water. The mayor says the backup delivery system can accommodate the whole city of Flint. Michael Brown, who is the director of the city of Flint's Department of Public Works, says it all started with a pumping pressure call from the Great Lakes Water Authority of Gliwa. A little bit later, they called and said that they, they had a main break, and so we then closed our system to the pipeline that leads to them. I talked to Virginia Nolan, who's been a resident of Flint for over 40 years. Virginia says she is happy the city has a backup water supply, avoiding what would have been a difficult situation. Now, lessons have been learned. That's my main point. We have all learned the lessons of this water crisis. Other 
Americans like Philip Wise have been living in Flint since the 1950s. And after living through the water crisis, he tells me it's tough to trust the water. We only shower uh, with the water system we have in Flint that we don't use it for drinking water. I'm skeptical, let's say that. I'll still use uh, bottled water. Everyone knows or have heard of the Lone Ranger, but not everyone knows the real story, according to members at the McCray Theater. That knowledge is what they're trying to bring to Flint as a whole, but particularly their youth. All right. So, that's basically it. They have that for uh, Flint, Michigan, but for how long will that hold out? Mississippi is just destroyed all right now to some global news the West have two options, either intervene directly or use economic sanctions. The West decided on the latter. But historically, sanctions have never been successful. Do you know why? Because they are never watertight. Someone or the other is always diluting them. And case in point is Europe. Vladimir Putin has successfully weaponized gas supplies to Europe, and last week he shut off the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. It is the biggest gas pipeline in Europe. So naturally, countries like Germany are spooked. In fact, even before the shutdown, their condition was precarious. Russia had gradually reduced the gas supplies first to 40% of the total capacity and then to 20%. So what did Europe do? It looked for alternative sources ahead of winter. And guess where they found that? China. Beijing is the largest importer of liquefied natural gas. In 2021, it bought around 109.5 billion cubic meters. This year, imports were up 60%. And a lot of that came from Russia. In the first half of 2022, China bought gas worth 2.16 billion dollars from Russia. Before the war, Russia was China's sixth largest supplier and now 
restrictions severely impacted factories, restaurants. There were no public events. So all this LNG had to be diverted somewhere else. Enter Europe. European companies started buying gas from Chinese refineries. Their LNG imports are up almost 60%, and out of this, 7% was Russian gas. In other words, they were laundering it. Let me explain how this trade works. Russia first sold liquefied natural gas to China, but China had no use for it, so they resold this Russian gas to Europe. That too, at three or four times the normal rates. So much for decoupling from Russia. The fact is, Europe is still importing gas from Russia. But the only difference is they are not doing it directly. They are doing it via China. And this is not the first time. Previously as well, we have received such reports. First, about ghost ships. Some of you may remember this trend. Many Russian oil tankers disappeared off the radar after leaving the port. Their route was not published. It only said destination unknown. Many Iranian and Venezuelan tankers regularly do this. It is a common trick to evade sanctions. They don't sail to the west. Instead, they offload their cargo onto bigger tankers at sea. They mix the Russian oil with other crude products. So now you cannot identify it. In March, the number of such ghost ships surged 600%. They were smuggling almost 1.5 million barrels of oil daily. The U.S. is also guilty of such laundering. Two weeks after the war, they imposed a ban on Russian oil. But just how effective is that ban? According to reports, not much. Russian crude is still used by refineries in China and India. Many of these refineries still export to the U.S. Do you see the problem here? America may not be importing Russian oil directly, but they are buying the same product from elsewhere, basically diluting their own sanctions. So what does this say about the West's resolve? It's based on convenience. Just think about it. Europe talks about shutting down Putin's war machine, yet they are buying Russian gas from China. The US talks about crippling Russia's economy, yet they are buying Russian oil from other refineries. Now compare that to their attitude towards India. All those lectures, the warnings, the threats. Meanwhile, the West itself is diluting its own sanctions. Let me show you some numbers here. In the first six months of the war, Russia raked in $158 billion from energy sales, $158 billion. And these are the major buyers. The European Union, 47%. China, 24%. Remaining G7 and NATO countries, 13%. And India, just 6%. Despite the increase in imports, India's share remains low, just 6%, as compared to Europe's, 47%. So the bottom line here is, if anybody is funding Putin's war, it is Europe. And yet, they question India. And now, there is a new proposal a price cap on Russian oil. The G7 foreign ministers have agreed to it and they want both India and China to sign on as well. What does India have to say? Indian officials say they will study the proposal. At the same time, 
they have refused to be pressured by so-called moral arguments. Listen in to what the petroleum minister had to say. I have a moral duty to my consumer. Do I, as the democratically elected government, want a situation where the petrol pump runs dry? Look at what's happening in countries around India. He has a point. If Europe can violate its own sanctions to buy Russian gas, then surely India can look out for the best deals. We are so basically, you know, the U.S. looks like clowns. Europe looks like clowns. And it's kind of like you see someone that you say that you claim is the enemy <clears throat> you announce it to everybody they're the enemy but you're still benefiting from them how are they the enemy if you're still benefiting from them I don't know what to say man I don't know So shouldn't I'm just saying Shouldn't Sweden Take A uh, Take a play Out of other Other European nations Playbook And just buy Russian oil From different Avenues Instead of trying to Punish your citizens For trying to heat up Their homes And trying to survive This coming winter I'm just saying That would make A whole lot more sense That's all I gotta say when it comes to that Alright Now up for this story U.S. trained Ukrainian missilers Who sunk Russian warship Pentagon Officials says <clears throat> Clarification, a Pentagon spokesperson said Bill LaPlante did not mean to say the, that Ukrainians were trained in the United States. Ukrainian forces who sank a Russian warship with harpoon missiles in June were trained by the United States, a Pentagon top weapons buyer said. The key detail of the strike and a few others were disclosed Wednesday by Bill LaPlante, Defense Secretary for Acquisition and Sustainment during a conference panel hosted by the Defense News near the Pentagon. LaPlante said the U.S. brought the Ukrainians to the train on the harpoon over the Memorial Day weekend in our country over Memorial <clears throat> in our country over Memorial Day weekend. Spokesperson for LaPlante said the Undersecretary did not mean that the Ukrainians received training in the United States. Instead, she meant he meant <clears throat> instead she said he meant that the weekend the Ukrainians receiving training is still called is called Memorial Day in the United States. Uh-huh. We got them off the ship, put them on the same flatbed trucks, put the harpoons, the modules on the flatbed truck, and then a different flatbed truck for the power source, connected a cable between it. Figured out was <clears throat> figured out was exportable, brought the Ukrainians to train it train on it over Memorial Day weekend in our country, our over Memorial Day weekend. And the next week, two Russian ships were sunk with those harpoons, he said. Okay, you guys need to proofread your information before you put it on the internet. 
The U.S. was part of the coalition team that did the training, a U.S. defense official said later. A vendor trained the Ukrainians, the official said. The Boeing made harpoon anti-ship missiles used in the strikes were given to the Ukrainians by a U.S. ally that Leponte did not disclose. The missiles were removed from the Allied ship and then mounted on the back of the flatbed truck. A second flatbed truck was served as a power source, he said. There's incredible innovating going on right now, and we don't talk about it enough. In mid-June, Ukraine said it deployed harpoons provided by Denmark. Days later, reports emerged that the Ukrainian military had sunk the Russian naval supply ship Spatsel Vasilbek. A week later, the Pentagon said Ukraine had sunk that ship with harpoons. On Wednesday, Laponte said that Ukrainian forces had since sunk another warship with harpoons. He did not name the ship. There is no reporting from the region of a second vessel being sunk. In June, U.S. officials pledged to send Ukraine vehicle-mounted harpoons as part of a one million, <clears throat> billion weapons package. In April, Ukrainian forces used Neptune missiles to sink the Moskva flagship of Russia's Black Sea Fleet. All that money could have been used to feed the hungry and create jobs here in America. But it's all the plan. It's all part of the plan to break down this country for the new world order. Everything from paying farmers to destroy their crops and livestock to this. Um, <clears throat> I hope you like the material being shown. And uh, anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. <clears throat> Sorry, I had a little bit of a cold. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later. I'm also on Odyssey as well, if you want to check me out there. Politically Incorrect TV. Later. <laughs>